The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Uh, welcome, guys. So good to be here with you at City Rev. Um, I just want to mention, because the Super Bowl is happening, I would love to know, don't say it yet, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to tell me who you want to win, okay? And I will determine, based on your answer, whether you're a Christian or not. All right, let's do it. Ready? One, two, three. The Dolphins. The Dolphins. I like that. There we go. That's a true homer right there. All right. I like it. Uh, I'm going for the Chiefs and all God's people said amen. All right. Thank you. We got a few. The rest of you, we're praying and fasting for you. Anyway, um, welcome to everyone who's here in person. To those who are watching online, we're so thrilled that you're taking your time to worship uh, with us today. And um, I, I, every time I come to City Rev, the church formerly known as West Pines, I always feel like uh, it's been hanging out with family. And I don't know if that makes me the crazy uncle. That might be what it is. Uh, but I'm so thrilled to be here. Pastor Roby and Rebecca are some of Melissa and I's closest friends. And so just an honor to be with you today as we continue the teaching series called Made. And here's how I'd like to start at Crossway. Before we go into our time of teaching, we do what we call a palms up prayer. And so we literally place our palms up like this. And it's just an attitude that we say to God. It's a, it's a, it's a posture where we say to God, Lord, whatever you have for me today, I want to receive it. And so if you would, just place your palms up like this, and let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us today. So Father, right now, uh, we're here, and our hearts and our minds are open to you. We want you to speak to us, and Lord, in this moment and in this place, we recognize that your Holy Spirit is here. And so Holy Spirit, come, open our hearts, open our eyes, and then motivate our actions to bring you glory. Lord, would your spirit pour out in fresh, in a fresh way, in abundant measure right here at City Rev in this service for all those who are here and all those who are watching online in their homes. We ask in the beautiful name of Jesus and everyone together said, amen. Amen. Today I want to begin by talking about the power of story. When I say story, I don't mean like once upon a time there was a little bunny rabbit in a forest kind of story. I, I don't mean long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away kind of story. Today I want to talk about the power of the stories that we look to to give us meaning and purpose in life. And I'll give you a couple examples of the power of those sorts of stories. Here's one. I want you to think about your family of origin, the family that you grew up in. Your parents were telling you a story about the good life. And they may have never sat you down and said, this is what the good life looks like. But through their actions, through their choices, what they did, what they didn't do, they were telling you a story about what the good life looks like. Now, I want you to think with me back to the story, in essence, that your parents told you. What did that look like? Uh, for some of you, the story that they told you about the good life looked like this. Get a good education and get a great job, and that equals the good life. Anybody have that kind of story told you? A few of you, right? At least three of you here uh, this morning. Uh, for others of you, it was completely different. It was all about relationships. So relationship, family, relationship, family, and don't forget to call abuela. Did anybody have that story told to you as you were growing up? Yeah, uh, there's these story scripts that we were given by our parents, and there's power in that, because some of you who are adults right now heard those stories growing up and are literally still following along the story script that was given to you. That's power and story. Let me give you another example. Politics. 
Uh, I have this idea that I think that the most effective political debate would look like this. Two people up on stage, no fanfare, and they literally just go in the most boring way possible and read their policies that they're going to do, and then the other person reads their policies, and then we vote based on actual things. But as you know, because you've watched political debates, that's not how it works, is it? The essence of a political debate today in, in our age is not about policies, it's about story. They're trying to paint a picture about where the country's going and where they can lead it. And if you vote for the opponent, everything is going to go up in flames. So you've got to vote for me and give to my campaign. It's all about the power of story and how it shapes and mobilizes people. Now, what I want us to see this morning is that there is a bigger story that is being told uh, than the story that our families of origin gave us. There's a bigger story than the story politicians give us. There's a story that is bigger than the story that marketers give us. And it's the story that God is telling. Uh, God has been telling from the very beginning of time. Uh, Bible teaches that God has been bending the course of human history for his purposes. So what I want us to do this morning is I believe that the only way we find true meaning and purpose and significance is to find, understand God's story and find our way in it. And the only way we can do that is to understand the beginning of the story that God has been telling. And we'll begin together at the very, 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 very beginning of God's story. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this. In the beginning, what's that word there? Right after, say it out loud with me, God, right? So in the beginning, God. Now just pause for one moment. I want to acknowledge that it does not say in the beginning, John, right? And it doesn't say in the beginning, you or anybody sitting next to you. And I think that's important when we try to understand the story that God is telling and the story that we find ourselves in to remember that it actually, the beginning of the story isn't about us, it's really about God. So in the beginning, God, he did something. He created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now when you continue to read through Genesis chapter 1, what you find is the articulation of how God created the world. And as 21st century Americans, oftentimes the way we come to the text of Genesis chapter 1 is to read it through scientific eyes. And so often our primary questions after we read Genesis 1 are scientific questions. Well, it says six days were those six 24-hour days. The Hebrew word for day is actually the word yom. Could that mean that this was longer, a day age? And how does the record of Genesis fit up with the fossil record and all those sorts of things? And we ask these sort of scientific questions. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's certainly a place for that. But what I do want to draw our attention to is that Moses' primary purpose when he wrote Genesis 1 was not scientific. It was theological. And he was trying to answer one of the most fundamental questions of the human existence. And it is this, who created everything and how did he do it? Now, the answer to that question, so, so the answer to the beginning of the story, the, the way we understand how everything was made and who made everything that was made absolutely fundamentally shapes our lives, our decisions, the way we interact with God, the way we interact with others. Uh, to illustrate that, let me uh, share with you two other alternate creation stories. One of them ancient, 
and one of them more modern, okay? The first one is the Babylonian creation story. This is one of the oldest stories recorded that we have of how everything was made. It's found in what's known as the Enuma Elish. And so imagine for a minute that you are the father or the mother of a Babylonian, you know, in, in, in ancient Babylon. You're standing outside or sitting outside with your son looking up to the stars. And your son looks over at you and he's like, who did all this, dad? Like, how did all of this happen, right? Theological question, like, who did it and how did it happen? You would probably answer, according to the Babylonian creation story, something like this. You would say, son, glad you asked that question. Many years ago, there was a battle between two gods. One god, Marduk, he was the god of order. And then it was a battle against Tiamat, and she was the goddess of chaos, and she was this sort of fish dragon kind of goddess. Okay, so you've got order, and you have chaos. And Tiamat gathered up a bunch of monsters and dragons to come against Marduk, and Marduk summoned the wind, and he threw the wind inside of Tiamat's mouth, and she blew up like a puffer fish, right? And at this point, your kid's like, this is a great story, right? Yeah, keep telling me that, right? And then, what did Marduk do? He took an arrow, and he shot the arrow through Tiamat and sliced her in half. filet fish you know what I mean? Right there, the first filet fish And then he took the, the top part of the corpse of the, the fish goddess uh, Tiamat, and he stretched it out to create the heavens. And then he took the bottom part of the dead corpse of Tiamat, and he stretched it out to create the earth. And then he killed another god, and from the blood of that conquest, he created humanity. And then you look at your son and say, night, night, sweet dreams, son. <laughs> now, if you think about that story, what are the fundamentals or the essence of the way that story of how everything was made? What does that story tell about how everything was made? Well, it's a story of violence, conquest, and the uh, capricious behavior of gods, right? So this is a story that everything was made out of violence, Everything was made out of bloody conquest, and that's how we got to where we are. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute. If your frame of how everything was made is actually made through violence and conquest, then what does that tell you about the decisions you make? Well, if that's how the world started, that's how the world will always be. This is just the way things are. And, of course, it informed the Babylonian Empire, which was a very violent and bloody empire. Uh, your understanding of the beginning of the story shapes your life. Let me give you one other alternate view. This one is not ancient, it's modern. It's the secular understanding of creation. And for some of you here who are sitting, maybe this is actually how you think of the world and how everything started. This is certainly how many people that you uh, live around and engage with believe that everything started. And it goes like this, right? Who made everything? Secular answer, nobody made everything. Here's what happened. Billions of years ago, there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, there was, boom, a big bang, right? And from that bang, the very primitive forms of life were created. And they started to grow. And then they started you know, to, to reproduce. And then some died off and the stronger ones lived. And then you just keep adding billions and billions and billions and billions of years. And here we are, the, the result of some happy cosmic accident billions of years ago. I want you to think with me for a minute how that understanding of the secular vision of creation and how everything was made might inform your life and your decisions. Well, number one, if it is true that no God actually started this, this was just a random happy accident, then I don't have to be accountable to any God, right? Number one. How about number two? 
Um, if there is no God to whom I can go to for any sense of moral standing and morality, then guess what? There is no authority of morality, and morality is just culturally conditioned to the different cultures. How about number three? If there is no God who started everything, and there's certainly then not a God who's bending the course of human history for his plans, then all of life is just kind of random. And maybe number four, if there is no God who started everything, and then there certainly is no life after this, then all I have to do is seize the day because once I die, it's over. Are you following me? Your understanding of the beginning of the story absolutely impacts everything. And so Moses in Genesis chapter one is speaking prophetically and prophetically critiquing both the Babylonian creation story and the secular creation story. And he's saying this, he's saying, no, it is not true that everything was created out of violence and conquest. And no, it is not true that everything that is created was random. Rather, here's how it started. In the beginning, there was a God, the one triune living God. And this God created the world out of love. And when he created the world out of love, he created it with order. And he created it with beauty. And he created it with symmetry. As a matter of fact, if you keep reading through Genesis chapter 1, one of the things you'll find if you look into how Moses lays out the six days of creation, there's this beautiful symmetry that's taking place where day one corresponds with day four and day two corresponds with day five and day three corresponds with day six. Let me explain. Uh, the first three days of creation are God ordering the universe. And then the second three days of creation are God filling the universe. So day one, God separates the light from the darkness, and he separates the day from the night, ordering. Day, day four, God fills the night with the stars and the moon, and he fills the day with the sun. Day two, God separates the water from the sky, and, and then day five, God fills, that's his order, and then he fills the sky with birds of the air and the water with the fish and all that wildlife. And then day three, God separates the water from the land. And then in day six, God fills the land with all of the animals and then all of humanity. Here's Moses' point. This is anything but violence and conquest and, or anything random. Here's how everything was made that was made. There was the living God who created out of love and made everything with purpose and beauty and order. And here's what he says next. Every single thing that was created notice verse 3 and God said let there be light and there was light and then God saw that the light was what's that word I want you to say it out loud with me let's say it together he saw the light was good he saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. I love this, right? Because you have day one of creation and God speaks and he separates light from darkness and then it's like God sits back and he's like, oh, that was good, right? Like that was really, have you ever made anything and thought the same about something you created? I recently started trying to get better at cooking. Up till about 18 months ago, the only thing I could cook was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? That was basically my repertoire. I don't know what happened. I just, re you know, I was 39, so I was hitting the 40 mark, and I thought, it's probably something I should learn how to do. Uh, so the last two Novembers and Thanksgiving, I have attempted to cook the family turkey, and we have all family over and everything. And this last year, I got a really sophisticated recipe from Eden Garten, all right? And I was feeling very sophisticated as I was doing it. I put a lot of time into it. A lot of prayer, Jesus, let this not burn, all right? I put all the herbs and the spices and stuffing it and everything, and 
And then we pulled that out and it looked, looked incredible and I cut it up and put it on the table. My mom took a bite of this Thanksgiving turkey and my mom declared that this was the best Thanksgiving turkey she's ever had. No celebration, no, no clapping, no applause. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, that was your mom, right? Mom say that, I get it, I get it, but I'll take what I can. And then after my mom ate it and like she christened it, yes, the best that I've ever had, right? Then I took a bite and I was so excited with all these hours and I took a bite and I was, I, t- I tasted it and then I just pushed myself back from the table and I was like, it is good, <laughs> right? Like it is good. This is God, the satisfaction of creation. Day one, he's like, good. And then he keeps going day three and he's like, oh, good. And day five, he's like, yeah, good. And then he gets to day six after creating humanity and he's like, very good. I love it. So here's the thing. Moses is like, listen, we were not made. This universe wasn't made out of random things and violence and conquest and that kind of bloodshed. No, it was created by a loving God who blessed the creation and made everything good. And of course, the pinnacle of God's creation, he creates on the final day, on day six. And I just want you to read real quickly with me about this in Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our, what's that word? Say it out loud with me. Image. All right, one more time, like you had some Cuban coffee before you came. In our image. There we go. In our image, in our likeness, so that we may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. (coughs) He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every Every living creature that moves on the ground. So God creates everything good. There's only one thing he created in his image, right? And that's us. So God created scallops and shrimp, and they were good, especially when they're grilled in the barbecue, right? But there's only one thing he created in his image, us, right? God created pomegranates and pomeranians, and they're good. But there's only one thing he created in his image, and that's you, right? God created sequoia trees and melaleuca trees, and they are good. But there is only one thing created in his image, and that is you and I. And the point here that Moses is making through the Holy Spirit is there is a distinction between all of God's creation and humanity. There's something special about us. We're made in his image. Now, what does that mean, right? I know that throughout this series, that's actually been part of what we've been exploring, right? And, and to some degree, when you think about something being made in the image of God, it's like looking at a diamond and turning it slowly. And every time you turn it, you notice another depth of facet of beauty. And, and so there's a lot of ways to understand this. I want to share two today of what it means to be made in his image. And understanding this is the beginning of our story. And I want to take these from what someone in the ancient Near East might have felt. Because Moses wrote this in the ancient Near East. So when someone in the ancient Near East had heard that uh, we are made in the image of God, that wasn't really all that strange to them. And the reason why it wasn't strange to them is because kings at that time would often claim that I am the image of God, right? So they had a framework for this idea. And there were at least two things that they understood as a result of the idea that the, the kings were made in the image of God. One, 
is that they realized that if the king was made in the image of God, he is very, very, very important, right? He has incredible amount of worth because there you are, just everyday average person, like we're just like normal, but he is made in the image of God. Wow. So it denotes this incredible worth and dignity and value, number one. Uh, Number two, as someone made in the image of God, and the kings would sort of lean into this, they represented God to the earth. And so they represented the purposes and the plans of God. They were the ones who had the authority to bring about God's plans. And so this was the framework that, that Moses was writing into. And so as Moses wrote Genesis 1, inspired by the Holy Spirit, what he's doing is he's critiquing all of that. And he's like, you guys got it wrong. You got a little bit of it right, but let me explain how it works. Number one, it is not only the king who is made in the image of God. Number two, when we talk about God, these kings are made, they claim to be made in the image of false gods, but here's how it really works. Number one, there is a one true living God. In Genesis chapter two, he calls him Yahweh Elohim. The one true living God created everything. And he didn't just create kings and rulers in his image. He created every single person in all of humanity in his image. And so that gives us two things that we need to understand. Here's the first one. As God's image bearer, you have tremendous worth and value. Let me say that again. As God's image bearer, you have tremendous worth and value. Can you imagine how disruptive it must have been in the ancient Near East? When to a people who thought, I'm just normal and every day, but that guy's made in the image of God. And then Moses says, you don't understand. You are made in the image of God. It's not just him who's special. You're special. It's not just him who has worth. You have worth. Can you imagine how revolutionary that idea must have been? Like, whoa, what you're saying? That I'm as important, as important as the king? And Moses is like, yes. Not because of you, but because of the one whose image you have been made in. Now, We don't have royalty and kings today in the United States. Uh, What we do have is our 21st century corollary, which are celebrities, right? They are royalty. But think about how we think about celebrities, how we talk about celebrities. I mean, we act as if they are not human, right? I cannot believe that you are that good at football or that you are that good at acting or you are that beautiful or you're that amazing songwriter and we treat celebrities as if they are above us, right? If we're standing in line waiting to get in a restaurant and a celebrity walks in and, you know, gets ushered in right away, we kind of expect it, of course. I mean, they are so special, right? And Genesis 1 is like, come on, man. They're not any more special than you. You've been made in the image of Yahweh Elohim, right? You have been made in the image of God, which means this, and I want you to hear this, is this, is that your worth and value is not contingent on secondary factors. What does that mean? Let me explain. Uh, All of us have these things in our mind, these story scripts from our culture, from our family of origin, from whatever, And we have these ideas that here's how I become valuable in life. Think about it, right? So some of you right now, if we were to be really honest, there are certain benchmarks that you think, I will be valuable if, fill in the blank. I have worth and value if. Some of you, I have worth and value if I make this amount of money. I'll have true worth and value if I get married. I'll have true worth and value if I have children. I'll have true worth and value if I get a degree from this university. I have true worth and value if this number of people like my TikTok video, right? Like, this is how I find my worth and value. And in other words, my worth and value is contingent on some sort of secondary factor. And the Bible pushes way against that and says, absolutely not. Your worth and value 
is not contingent on any secondary factors, that you, in yourself, in right now, as you are, have incredible, tremendous worth and value in God's eyes. So if you are rich or you are poor, equally valuable in God's eyes. If you're black, white, brown, any shade in between, equally valuable in God's eyes. If you have a degree from Harvard or you have a degree from the School of Hard Knocks, equally valuable in God's eyes. No matter your relationship status, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what your future plans are, equally valuable in the eyes of God. Now, some of you might hear that and go like, well, that's kind of obvious though, man. I mean, you came in here from another church to preach that. I mean, everybody knows that. Like all people in the United States already agree with that. So why even bring it up? Well, number one, because I don't believe it's obvious. And if you're sitting here right now and you feel like it's obvious, it is because you live in a Western culture that has been influenced by sort of Judeo-Christian thinking about the beginning of the story. Because Right now in the world, and historically speaking, there are a whole lot of places that do not hold to the idea that everyone is made in the image of God with equal dignity, worth, and value. Uh, think about the influence of Hinduism on places like India, where you have the caste system. And so you're the top of the system, the Brahmins, then you go all the way down the, the four big castes. And then underneath that is a group called the Dalits. And the Dalits is about 200 million. They are literally under the caste system. They don't fully belong to the caste system. Some people believe that the Dalits, the person's value, if they are a Dalit, they have less value than a cow. Some people believe that if you are a Brahmin and you pass, someone passes by who's a Dalit and they, their, their shadow touches you, then you need to do ritual religious cleansing because you have become unclean simply by their shadow. My point is that's a very different story. It's a very different story of who we are, how we're made, and people's dignity. And Christianity tells a different story. And it's not just that. You can go all the way through ancient times. How about the Roman Empire? This is the place in which Christianity took root, okay? And the Roman Empire, uh, they did not have this idea that every person has inherent dignity, worth, and value. They weren't running off the same story script at all, right? And so they had things like the Colosseums. Anyone here ever visited the Roman Colosseums? Yeah, a bunch of you. I uh, just want, you know, sometimes we go as tourists like, wow, this is so cool. And we forget like what happened in the Colosseums. Imagine being in Dolphin Stadium. It's packed out. 50,000 people or however many Dolphin Stadium holds. And the main event is not a football game. It is people down on the field slaughtering each other. That's what was happening in the Coliseums, right? So imagine you're there. You got your hot dog, your soda. You got your friends packed through. Everyone's got, you know, you know masks on, I guess, right? So you're there, right? And you look down and there's like gladiators just chopping, hacking people up. And they bring in... Poor people, they kill them. They bring in conquered people, they bring, kill them. And then at various times, this happened in the Roman Empire, they would bring in Christians, and they would then put them in the middle, and then they would take lions and release the lions. Imagine you're in a crowd of people, 50,000 people, watching Christians get dismembered limb by limb because of the lions, and you're like, yes, I'm so glad I came to the Colosseum today. I mean, that's almost shocking to us. You know why it's shocking to us? Because we have a different story that not everybody has had. This is also why in uh, Roman times, it was so common infanticide and what was known as exposure. That if you had a child that was the wrong gender, or you had a child that had some physical issues, that they would actually put them to death, or then sometimes lay them on the dung heap just to die. How could that be? 
because your understanding of how we are made radically shapes everything you do. So why do we as Christians, this is important for City Rev, this is important for Crossway Church, why do we as Christians open our homes to children in foster care who've been removed from their family because of abuse, abandonment, or neglect? Why do we do that? Because we have this fundamental belief about the beginning of the story, that all of us have been made in the image of God, and every child matters, and so we bring them into our home and care for them as our own because they are made in the image of God. Why do we as Christians stand up and speak about issues of injustice in the world even when it doesn't affect us personally? Because we have this fundamental belief about the beginning of the story that all of us have been made in the image of God. And so when somebody is experiencing injustice, we step in to speak into that situation. Oh, why do we as Christians care for the poor? Because we have a fundamental belief that every person, regardless of pocketbook, has been made in the image of God and is worthy of dignity, value, and respect. And so we lean into that. Do you understand, City Rev? This is who we are. Like, this is what it means to be a Christian and the beginning of our story. How we understand how we were made shapes so much of our life. So the first thing is God's image bearer? Yes, right? You've got to understand you have inherent dignity, worth, and value. Here's the second and last thing. As God's image bearer, you represent him and his purposes to the world. So the first one is that you understand just you right now have value and worth. The second one is about activity. Meaning as God's image bearer, there's an activity that you're called to. You represent God and his purposes to the world, the kings would say, I represent the God, right, and his purposes, so do everything that I say. But Moses comes alongside, and he's like, wrong God, <laughs> number one, that's a false God. And number two, all of us are called to represent God's purposes in the world. Listen to how N.T. Wright, theologian N.T. Wright says this. I think it's so beautiful what he says about us being made in the image of God. He says, God made humans so that he could look after his world through this particular creature, that creature being us. His intention was to bring his creation forward from its beginnings to be the glorious place he always intended and to do so through who? His, this human family being us, right? Those image bearers. That is one part of what it means to be in the image of God. God is not an object in the world, but he wanted from the first to be present and active in his world. So he created humans to be the means and the mode of that presence and that activity. And in other words, what N.T. Wright is saying is that God created us in his image, not just so that we would know that we are valuable, yes, but that we would take that and then we would be on God's plan and agenda. That we would walk around the world understanding that we're here for a purpose, to, to bring about, to cultivate the world, to fully realize the glorious plan that God originally had. Now, my dad and I, used to have this theological debate. Uh, it's probably not a good idea to debate your dad theologically because he usually wins. And so I had this debate with my dad and I, and I would say that when God created the world, he created everything perfect. And dad would say, no, that's not true. He got it, created everything good, not perfect. And, and then he said this and we went back and forth and he said, listen, here's the thing. To say that God created everything perfect is to say that there's no room for improvement. And that's certainly not what God says or the scripture says in Genesis. He says that God created everything good and then he gave us sort of the raw materials of that goodness and he said, now I want you to go and cultivate 
the world and make it as beautiful as possible. This is why humans create culture. This is why humans make laws to benefit people. This is why humans create beauty and art. This is why songwriting happens. This is us living out what it means to be his image bearers, cultivating the world that he gave us. Now, some of you might say, well, that's great, but I don't own a garden or anything like that, so there's not much cultivating going on. And, and how would I bring about God's purposes in the world? Like, what does that even mean? So just really quickly, I want you to think with me about the Lord's Prayer. Some of you are familiar with this? And it starts like this, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And then the first petition of the Lord's Prayer goes like this. This is what Jesus teaches us to pray. He says this, um, he says to pray these words, your kingdom come, some of you know it, right? Your will be done. And if you know the rest, say it out loud with me, on earth as it is in heaven. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that the will of God, right? His kingdom would come and his will would be done in South Florida as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. In the United States as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. In your uh, job as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. In your home as it is in heaven. This is what he's telling us to pray. Now here's, here's where this ties into what Adam has been called, even been called to do as image bearers. So we're called to say, okay, we represent God and his purposes in the world. And God says, here's my purpose. I want the world to look more like heaven. I want my kingdom to be established. So guess what that means for us? We don't just pray it, we live it. We don't just say, God, do it. We then become co-creators with God and work with his power to bring his kingdom to bear on the earth. So I want you to think about this. If that's true, then right now, your life is pregnant with purpose. Like your life is pregnant with purpose. What I mean by that is that you can wake up tomorrow morning and I want you to think about this, literally a conversation with God and say, God, um, help me today cultivate the world that I engage so that it looks more like your kingdom. That's an incredible purpose that we've been given as God's image bearers. And then you might say, well, what does that even look like? So let me give you a couple simple examples. Some of you are in education, you're teachers, right? I want you to think about this. What would it look like if the whole landscape of Broward County Schools looked, uh, God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in Broward County Schools as it is in heaven. Now you might say, well, I don't even know. Well, what happens in heaven? In heaven, everything is as it should be, right? So that's easy. So now you start thinking, what would it look like if every classroom, and in every classroom in Broward County Schools, everything was as it should be? Now, I'm not a, an educator, <coughs> so you can critique this, but let me just offer a, a humble thought, maybe a couple things, that in every classroom, there would be a teacher that actually loves and cares for the children, right? So they feel loved and cared for, okay? Uh, in every classroom, there'd be a teacher who, is, who was exceptional at his or her job. And that in every classroom, there would be an environment where every kid would have the opportunity to grow to their full potential. That's my humble suggestion of what it might look like if his kingdom came and his will would be done in Broward County Schools as it is in heaven. Now, you, teacher, what does that have to do with you? You might think, well... I can't do it. I can't bring his kingdom in all of the classrooms all throughout Broward County. Here's the good news. You don't have to. But here's what you can do. You can bring his kingdom in your classroom. 
You can make sure that in your classroom, every child knows that they're loved. You can make sure that in your classroom, because of your skill, every child in your classroom gets an exceptional education. You can make sure that in your classroom, every child has the opportunity to reach their full potential. And teachers and educators, when you do that, you are bringing the kingdom. You are living out what it means to be an image bearer of God, representing him and his purposes in the world. Two more quick examples, just to make it real to us. Some of you are business owners, or maybe you're a manager at a business. What would it look like in a business if God's kingdom came in that business and his will was done in that business on earth as it is in heaven? What would be the experience of the employees? Uh, some of you are like, I don't know what heaven would feel like, but I know what hell feels like, or I'd have been in that job, okay? Some of you know what that's like. So let's flip it, okay? What would it look like if God's kingdom came, right, in your job as it is in heaven? Well, maybe this. It would look like a culture of radical generosity, that there would be, that the, the, those in leadership would be generous with their praise and their words, that those in leadership would be generous with the opportunity of it for advancement and skill acquisition. That those in leadership would be generous with finances. Some of you are like, yeah, that sounds like heaven. I want that job. If you're offering, I got it, right? Now, here's the deal, managers. Here's the deal, business owners. You can't fix everything in South Florida. But you have the ability as God's image bearer, right? As, as the one who represents God at your business to shift the culture of your workplace so that it looks more like heaven. And when you do that, guess what's happening? You are bringing the kingdom of God. Can I give you one more example? Think about your neighborhood. I encourage you sometime this week to just like walk around your neighborhood and pray this prayer. Lord, what would it look like if... Your kingdom came here, and your will was done here as it is in heaven. I live over in Towngate, not too far from here. So imagine I'm walking around Towngate, and just praying, God, what would it look like here in Towngate if your kingdom came, your will was done? And I want you to think about that for where you live. At least one of the things that might happen, the Lord might drop in your heart, would be this idea that if his kingdom came and his will was done in your neighborhood, that everybody would know Jesus, right? They would have a relationship with God. You say, well, I can't do that, but you can't fix everybody. Here's what you can do. You can start to have this thing in your heart where you start praying, God, would you give me an opportunity to share Jesus with someone else? And then when you happen to be walking out of your garage and going to get your mail and your other neighbor comes and starts talking to you, you know the neighbor that when they start talking to you, you instinctively start backing away. Does anyone have a neighbor like that, right? Trying to get out of that conversation. But, but because you understand you are God's representative, you have, you're an image bearer of God, you don't back away. You stay there and you listen to what she's saying, and you hear the brokenness that she shares about the difficulties she's going through, and then you say something like this, hey, listen, I want you to know, number one, I'm going to be praying for you, and number two, I go to this great church called City Rev. It's made a huge difference in my life. Could I invite you to come with me? Could we meet over there next week? I think it would bless your life. Guess what, guys? That's not complicated. That's not rocket science. You don't need a PhD in the original languages of the Bible to do that. You just need to recognize that you are an image bearer of God, created his image to bring about his purposes in the world. And that might not seem like a big deal, and it might almost feel like, well, what difference does that make? But listen, listen. If you started doing that Monday through Saturday, walking around with a sense of purpose, 
and the person sitting next to you also. And then the person on the, the row, a couple rows in front of you. And then all of City Rev started doing it. And everybody who's watching online started to pick that up. Like, I'm here to bring the kingdom as his image bearer. Guess what happens? Then in greater ways, Jesus will be revealed in this region. And what happens when Jesus is revealed? Cities are what? Revolutionized. That's the exact purpose for this church. See, your purpose as a Christian is not just to come to church on a Sunday morning and go, that was great worship and that was a nice word and leave and nothing happens. Your purpose as a Christian is to hear what happens on Sunday and then on Monday morning walk pregnant with the purposes of God to bring his kingdom to bear in every sphere of society so that he gets the glory. Here's the deal. Understanding the beginning of the story, it's not just a nice thing. No, 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 it shapes everything. The beginning of the story says that the world was not created out of violence or conquest, certainly not random. It is the loving creation of a God who created with order and symmetry and beauty and goodness And he made you and he placed you and he placed me in this world as his image bearers so that we would understand our dignity, worth, and value and that we would live as his representatives on the earth. I'll close with this final thing. It's something I mentioned at the beginning. I mentioned that the beginning of the story is not your name, it's God's name. It's in the beginning, God. And why does that matter? That matters because you will never find true purpose and meaning in your life until you have a relationship with the God who started this story. Like it is impossible if God began everything and he's bending the course of human history for his will. It will be impossible for you to find true meaning, purpose, and significance if you do not have a relationship with the God who created you. Here's the good news. The good news is God wants a relationship with you. And maybe you're watching online right now and you just kind of started watching because someone invited you and you don't know God, you don't have a relationship with him. I want you to know there's good news. He wants a relationship with you. You're sitting here and you know that like you want that relationship. The the, the Bible teaches that there's good news that he wants a relationship and there's bad news that sin has separated us from God. All of us have sinned and our sin causes us to not have a relationship with the holy God. Uh, And and then the Bible says there's, there's good news and there's bad news and there's really, really good news. And it's this, that God knew about our sin. And in his love for us, he provided a way that our sin could be dealt with. And so 2,000 years ago, the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. And Jesus lived the life we should have lived. And then he went to the cross and he died the death that we deserve to die because of our sin. He was buried on the third day, he rose again. And here's this incredible promise. This is the promise that Christians have been declaring for 2,000 years. Hey, listen, like I get it that you sinned and I get that you feel far from God, but if you will, even today, cry out to the name of Jesus and say, God, I need forgiveness. God, make me new. God, I want to know you, that this God who created you will adopt you into his family. He will cleanse you and make you clean and he will give you security, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And so I I wanna close our teaching by extending an invitation. If you're here today and you need to take a step in the direction of God so that you can have a relationship with the God that created you. If you're watching online and that's your story, I wanna close with a prayer and just invite you to with these very simple words, Ask God 
to forgive you and make you new so that you can know the God who made you. So could we just close our eyes for a minute? In this auditorium and those who are watching online, let's just close our eyes for a minute. And if, if you are a part of the service right now and you have not yet um, given your life to the Lord, you've never asked him to forgive you, you've never asked him for newness of life, I'm gonna lead you in a super simple prayer. But if you will pray these words with faith, the God who made you will hear you and he'll make you new. So just say this, Father, I acknowledge that I'm far from you because of my sin. And today I ask that you would cleanse me of my sin. I believe that Jesus died for me and I wanna follow him. So make me new, give me new life, give me new hope. From this day forward, I wanna follow you. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus and everyone together said, amen. Hey, I wanna say this before we go into our communion. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe it's been a long time, you've been running from God, we'd love to know about it. Just go to our website, cityrev.org slash faith. And, um, let us know so that we can help you take your next steps because that is the most important decision you could ever make. Here's how we're going to close service today. We're going to close by receiving communion. Um, so if you're watching online, and it was mentioned earlier, but if you want to take a quick moment and get your communion elements ready, if you're here today and you walked in and you received it, go ahead and pull it out. Also, if you're here and you didn't get one, but you need one, just lift up your hand and uh, someone will pass that out to you. Uh, we've got some here in the back as well, so we can make sure that you can participate along with us. Well, I want to take us to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we're getting set, and it is here that Paul talks about what Jesus did. And the gospel that I shared earlier, right before the message I shared right before the prayer, is really the essence and the foundation for what we're doing right now. It's the story that we sinned against God and we deserved punishment of God because of our sin, but that Jesus Christ took it for us. And so in our time of communion, that's what we're remembering. <laughs> that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that the creator God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could know him. So here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you now take the bread that is in your, and just take it in remembrance of the body of Christ that was shed for you on the cross. Continues and says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now we take the cup, we drink the cup, remembering the blood of Jesus that was shed for us and for our sins. I'll just close and a word of prayer, and when we're done, we'll stand together and just sing one more time of the victory that we have in Jesus. So right now, Father, we're so grateful that you loved us enough not just to make us, but to provide a way for us to have a relationship with you through Jesus. 
So we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the cup. We thank you for the body. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for the covenant of grace that you invited us into. And we thank you for all those here who received that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you- Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.